Well, we continue this morning in the sermon series, No One Ever Told Me. And this morning's sermon really flows quite naturally out of last week's. You remember Pastor Steve preached on marriage from Ephesians 5. No one ever told me marriage takes a lot of work. And as you may know, what often happens when two people come together in marriage, birthed out of that relationship, are babies, and spouses become parents. And so today, we are addressing the topic of parenting. No one ever told me parenting has a goal. And indeed, as we look at God's Word this morning, we will see that parenting does have a goal. In order to hear from Him, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. So if you have a Bible, you can start at the beginning. Deuteronomy is just the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. If you see Joshua, you've gone too far. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 is where we'll be. But before we jump into Deuteronomy 6, I want to help us understand what kind of document Deuteronomy is. In other words, I want us to reflect on the literary genre of this book. Because it's true, there are different kinds of writing, and based on what kind of writing a document is, determines how you read it. So, for example, a newspaper and your Facebook feed. You don't read the two the same, do we? Or what about a history textbook and music lyrics? These are different genres of literature, and based on the genre, we read the words with certain expectations and assumptions about the purpose and meaning of the words. So what kind of literary genre is the book of Deuteronomy? Well, I think the best thing I can compare Deuteronomy to is this. Earlier this summer, I had the honor of officiating the wedding ceremony of Matthew James Steele and Latoya Danielle Burris. And these are the words that I spoke at their ceremony, explaining Ephesians 5, and I talked about the covenant responsibilities and covenant roles that they were committing themselves to to carry out for one another. And then, these are their words of covenant, their vows that they spoke to one another. And then... After the ceremony, myself, Matt, Danielle, and a few other witnesses went and put it in writing. So this is a copy of their marriage license or certificate of marriage. And this sealed and outlined the covenant nature of their relationship between Matt and Danielle. It also occurred to me that these documents are much like a DTR. You know what a DTR is? It's where you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend have a conversation in which you DTR, you define the relationship. Are we just friends? Are we a thing? Are we moving toward engagement, marriage? That's a DTR. Well, Matt and Danielle got very explicit in these DTR documents. Before God, they committed to one another for life, husband and wife in this DTR. Well, so it is with the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy spells out the terms of the covenant 
between God and his people, Israel. Deuteronomy is a DTR document defining the relationship between God and his people. Deuteronomy is a book of history. If you read it, you'll see recounted Israel's history. You'll also see laws. We'll read one of them this morning. Deuteronomy also has poetry. But all these different genres come together to form this covenant document. This document explains who God is for His people and how we are to respond to Him in relationship. And so, with that in mind about what kind of literature Deuteronomy is, let's read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. There the Holy Spirit writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise." You shall bind these words as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the goal of parenting? What is the goal of parenting? Well, I recently listened to a panel discussion from the Aspen Ideas Festival. This festival is held by the Aspen Institute, and it's a time where leading intellectuals and academics come together in order to hold public dialogues about their different areas of expertise. And it's supposed to foster innovation and collaboration across different industries and areas of study. And speaking on this specific panel that I listened to were several Ivy League experts across different disciplines, such as childhood development, psychology, and education. And the title of the panel was exactly that question. What is the goal of parenting? And as I listened to the panel, here are the three broad goals that at least I was able to discern from their conversation. For much of human history, and for many in our world still today, parents' goal for their children is simply survival. Disease is rampant. Medical care is underdeveloped or inaccessible. Sanitation at home and in medical facilities isn't always the best. So death, even for children, is common. For example, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency of our federal government, the CIA reports that the infant mortality rate in the country of Afghanistan is such that for every 10 live births, One of these will end in death before the child is one year old. One out of every ten doesn't make it to their first birthday. And so parents in these situations may simply hope for their child's survival. For many other parents, those of us who live in medically developed, technologically advanced societies, we can somewhat assume survival. We've moved beyond merely hoping for our children to survive, thus our goal is for our children to succeed. Success at school, success at sports, 
success in music and the arts, success at work, success in socialization. For many of these parents, psychologists have diagnosed the anxiety of average, the anxiety of average. Average is not tolerable for my child. He must excel. She must succeed. But what's behind such anxiety? Why the fear of average? Well, it seems the deeper fear is the fear of failure. We're anxious, we're afraid of our children being average because we're afraid of failure. Average is scary, average is anxiety-inducing because average is failure. And so the parenting goal is to succeed, for our children to overcome average, for them to overcome being an average student, for them to overcome being an average soccer player, an average musician, and so on. The goal is our child's success. Still, for other parents, the goal for parenting is our child's happiness. Apart from whether or not they're successful, we just want them to be happy. We want them to be okay, to be okay with who they are, and to be okay with what they're capable of. To be okay with however life comes their way, to be as happy as they possibly can. The parental goal is our child's happiness. So survival, success, and happiness. As a parent, I can identify with wanting each of these three things for my children. Whenever one of the boys has been sick, I just pray, Lord, save my boy. I just want him to survive. And whenever William is learning how to catch a ball or whenever Charlie's learning to talk, yeah, I want him to succeed. I want him to do well. And whenever we're having one of those magically delightful days, enjoying one another, I just want to capture that for them, that they may be, they may be able to maintain that kind of happiness all their days. So I know I can identify with these three common goals. But as natural as it may be for us to revert to these kinds of goals, what really is the goal of parenting? Or is survival, success, and happiness the best we can do? Well, as we hear from God's Word today in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we will see that these three other goals aren't necessarily wrong, but we'll also see that there is a more fundamental, a more important, a better goal than survival, success, and happiness. Loving God is the goal of parenting. So that's the big idea of our sermon this morning and of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Loving God is the goal of parenting. So let's work through this text, identifying two ways to accomplish this parenting goal. First, love the Lord our God. Love the Lord our God. Look again at verses 4 and 5. Moses begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So, here is the first stipulation in the covenant relationship between God and His people. We are to love Him. And notice two things about the kind of love He calls us to. It's an exclusive love and it's a wholehearted love. 
So I say it's an exclusive love because look at what precedes the command to love God. Again, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses declares that Israel's God is the only God. Sure, the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Canaanites had their national deities, beings that they worshipped. But Moses asserts they're false. They're fake. The Lord, Yahweh God of Israel, is one. He alone is God, thus Israel is to alone love Him. We are to exclusively love God. This is one of the reasons that we compare the covenant relationship between God and His people with the covenant relationship between husband and wife. The exclusive love of a husband The exclusive love a husband is to give to his wife is rooted in the theological reality that the Lord is one and his people are to exclusively love him. So basically what I was saying to Matt in this wedding ceremony was, hear, O Matt, Danielle, your wife, Danielle, is one. You shall love her, period, Or for Danielle, hear, O Danielle, Matt, your husband, Matt is one. You shall love him alone. Exclusive love is the nature of your relationship. One of my favorite authors, theologians, put it this way. Israel's love for Yahweh is one that allows for no competition and tolerates no rivals. And so... As we read this passage, we must ask ourselves, what other gods are competing for your love? What rivals does Yahweh have for your exclusive love? Money, power, work, relationships, your children, your ethnicity. Who or what is stealing your deepest love from the only true God? Moses announces that we are to love God exclusively and wholeheartedly. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So the covenant terms aren't only exclusive love, but also wholehearted love. Moses calls for total commitment of ourselves to God. Not one part of our life does not belong to Him. So imagine again marital vows. Imagine the husband said, yes, I will love you with every part of my life, except for my Saturday nights. Those are still mine. The wife would be like, excuse me? Or imagine the husband said in his vows, yes, I will love my bride with every part of my life, except for my body. I still get to do with my body whatever I want. Again, the wife would rightly object because the covenant terms are total, wholehearted, every part of your being love. And as it is with husband and wife, so it is in the covenant between God and us. And so again, let's ask, 
What's blocking you from wholehearted love for God? What part of your life are you still unwilling to give to Him? Maybe it is your Saturday nights or your body or your money and resources. For any of us, it could be any number of things. But let's honestly ask these questions of ourselves before God. Exclusive love. What other gods are competing for my deepest love? And wholehearted love. What's blocking me from wholehearted love? Hear, O church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love Him alone. So now notice... This first step towards fulfilling our parenting goal to love God, it's not really results-oriented, is it? The parental goal of loving God is achieved apart from how our kids turn out. And in some ways, it is out of our hands how our kids turn out. And that's okay. The point isn't so much for our kids to be a certain kind of successful or a certain kind of happy, although that's fine. The point is God, to center our lives around Him, to submit to His Lordship in everything, to love Him with everything we've got. And as His love goes deeper into our hearts, as we're more and more made secure with who we are in Christ, then we're able to parent with that same kind of gracious love and wisdom. Jesus called Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, He called this command the first and greatest commandment. He said, this is the commandment upon which all the others depend. Love for God comes first, then all the parenting particulars can fall into place. So love the Lord your God. Second way to accomplish our parental goal Impress God's Word upon your children. Impress God's Word upon your children. See again verses 6 through 9. Following right out of this command to love God are these words. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So the words of the covenant are to be in the hearts of the covenant people. So when I was growing up, I wasn't a big reader. I read comic books and some children's novels, not many. (laughs) However, at the end of elementary school and all the way through middle school, I became captivated by football, especially the football team of Auburn University, the Auburn Tigers. It's this school in Alabama. I exclusively and wholeheartedly loved this team. And even though I wasn't a big reader, I would devour any literature I could find about my team. The sports section of the Birmingham News, the Athlon Sports Preseason Guide, it was this big magazine that came out a few weeks before the season started. And I would cut out articles and collect them, and man, I stored up those words in my heart. The more I read, the more my devotion grew. The more my devotion grew, the more I read. And similarly, Moses calls the covenant people to store up the words of their covenant God in their hearts. 
And immediately after that, he directs them thus. You shall teach these words diligently to your children. So parents in covenant relationship with God have a covenant responsibility to teach their children God's Word. Parents are, and I say this as a student pastor, parents are the primary disciple-making force in their children's lives. Despite all my efforts as a student pastor to lead our ministries to middle schoolers and high schoolers, I will never have the spiritual influence that parents have over their children. And that's okay. God designed it to be this way. So, for example, I want to show you this illustration. These pictures come from a ministry called Orange and a book that they produce called Think Orange about kids and student ministry. Orange is a resourcing ministry, really, that Woodside's been partnered with for years. And uh, much of our student ministry curriculum and kids' ministry curriculum is, is produced from them. Well, they came up with these pictures to illustrate this truth. The first picture is a graph that represents all the hours of a child's life in a single year. So that entire white square represents all the hours of a child in a single year. And all those orange dots mark the amount of hours a church has influencing the average child that is a part of our church. For the average child that considers Woodside Romeo his or her church, it's about 40 hours per year that we get with him or her. Now, this second picture, again, represents the life of a child in a given year, but this time the orange dots mark the hours a parent has influencing their child. And for the average child, according to this orange ministry, it's about 3,000 hours per year with their parents. It's a pretty drastic difference. It's supposed to sort of jolt us to who's really got influence over our students' lives. So if our student ministry just absolutely excelled in all we did, the best teaching, the best games, the best small groups, etc., we still wouldn't come close to rivaling the amount of time and the amount of influence parents have with their kids. Now, does this mean that I should lose my job as a student pastor? Phew, I hope not. I like my job, and I have a mortgage to pay. And I am only five months into it, so I need you guys to hang on to me. I don't think it means you guys need to get rid of me, but it does mean that a big part of my role has to be that I help encourage and equip parents to disciple their children themselves. This falls under Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Pastor Steve quoted it in a sermon earlier this summer. There the apostle writes, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, Pastors, quote, pastors have been given to the church in order to, pastors have been given to the church in order to do the work of the ministry. That's what pastors do ministry, right? Wrong. Let me start again. Pastors have been given to the church in order to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's a huge paradigm shift. The apostle Moses, Moses says, parents, you can and must, you can do the work of this ministry, teaching 
your children the Word of God. The apostle says pastors can help you do this work of the ministry in teaching your children the Word of God. It's just like Home Depot says, you can do it and we can help. That's my philosophy of ministry. You can do it and we can help. DIY. Now, how does Moses say that we are to teach our children? Just take them to youth group. Just sign them up for the church program. Well, maybe that's a part of it. I hope it is. But let's look again at verses 6 and 7. He says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them. You shall talk of these words. So parents are going to teach. They're going to speak the word to their children. But notice, it starts with God's word being in your heart. If the word of God is saturating our hearts and minds, we won't be able but to speak it to our children. It's the same way when I was fan-crazed about the Auburn Tigers. If you put me around my buddies, you could be sure that they would know of my love for my team. I didn't even have to try. It was just out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth spoke. And so it is, as we store God's Word in our hearts, it overflows into our conversation and teaching moments with our children. So I want to cover a couple of ways that I've seen this happen and ways that I've tried to do it. One is randomly... And two is through routines. So random moments trying to teach our children and routinely trying to teach our children. First, randomly. Moses urges parents to work these teaching moments into all moments of life, all occasions of life. So verses 7 through 9, he says, You shall teach your children diligently. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. God's Word relates to all of life, and so in all of life, there's opportunity to share God's Word. I have one friend who's told me this story about how he tried to capture a random moment. His son, for years, has been asking for a dog and praying for a dog. He's been asking his dad for a dog. And finally, recently... His prayer was answered. His wish was granted. And his dad got him a dog. And I just overheard him as he was telling this story. He said, you know, this evening or this afternoon, I'm going to have the children come together. And I'm going to share with them the way our, this story from our son's life. And then I'm going to teach them from Matthew chapter 7 about the need to persist in prayer. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And I just thought, man, that's brilliant, and yet so simple. So my friend's just trying to be sensitive to opportunities whenever they arise, randomly, to pour God's Word into his children's hearts. Well, along with searching for these random opportunities, I think that Moses' words also speak to utilizing the different rhythms and routines of the day. Talks about using these different times together to have an intentional habit of looking at God's Word with our children. So think about it again. Moses mentions when we sit at home, that's one part of our day. When we walk in the way, that's one part of our day. 
when we rise. That's another part, when we lie down. So I think he may be urging us to work God's Word into our daily routines. So I'll share with you how Meg and I have tried to do that when we rise up. The boys are eating at the breakfast table, and we literally get to strap them to their chairs because they're one and three. And this is a really helpful teaching tool because they can't go anywhere. So if you can still tie your children down, if it's still legal to do so like it is for us, that's a helpful tool. We won't be able to do this for long. But they're strapped in their chairs, eating their breakfast. And one of the things we've tried to do, especially with William over the last year and a half, is work through a catechism with them. Just spend a few minutes to work through a catechism. Now, let me make a note. When I say catechism, I do not mean entirely what Roman Catholics mean by catechism. Um, If you have a Roman Catholic background, that may mean something entirely different. And certainly, certainly it means that I'm not teaching them Roman Catholic doctrine. Okay, I'm teaching them gospel, Bible doctrine. But, it, but it's the same thing. Catechism is the Latin word simply for teaching. So this tool is just a teaching tool, a catechism. The one we've been using over the last few months is called the New City Catechism. And we've been using the app. So if you have a smartphone, you can look this app up online, the New City Catechism. It's really well designed. It's free. And there's an orientation phase that will show you how to use it and so forth. And the way that this catechism works, it's just, a catechism is just a systematic way to teach through God's Word. And it's in question and answer format. The content of the teaching is in question and answer format. So the first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? Answer, that we are not our own, but belong to God. And because... These hand motions are helpful for prompting the boys. I come up with hand motions for each question. We are not our own, but belong to God. And Charlie's only one and a half, so he can do this a little bit. But, but William's actually getting the words and can remember some of this stuff. And with each question, there's also a song that helps them reinforce it. Singing something is the best way to learn something, to impress it upon our minds with that melody. What is our only hope in life and death? So it's the silly children's tune, but the boys are captivated by it. They love it. And whatever works um, is fine with me as as long as they're learning the truth about God. That's just one way that we've tried to capture that routine when the boys are sitting around the breakfast table. There's also an app you can download called Parent Q. It also is free. It's from the Orange Ministry, and it will be connected with the curriculum that your children are going through this morning. So Parent Q, download it. You'll enter your child's name and date of birth, and so they'll know what class your child is in, and it'll tell you. This is what your child learned today. Here's some questions. Here's some songs they sang. Here's some action steps. They could just prompt you to have a conversation with them like that. Another tool that you receive every time you get a bulletin at church is this sermon note outline. This has the text of Scripture, it has the main points, and then at the bottom it has these questions to facilitate conversation and create reflection. So I could imagine on Sunday evening or Monday morning or whenever, you put the phones away, put the computers away, Maybe read the text of Scripture. Ideally, you've already all heard the sermon preached, and now you can have a conversation about it. Maybe 10 minutes max. 
but it's just one more way to pour the truth of God's Word, to impress upon our children God's Word. However you get it done, whichever tool you use, and there is thousands of good ones, literally, it doesn't matter which tool. How we get it done is much less important that we get it done at all. That we teach God's Word to our children. That we speak God's Word into their hearts and minds. This is our covenant responsibility as God's people. And notice again, with this second way that we fulfill our parenting goal, it's fulfilled apart from results. Impressing God's Word upon our children is achieved apart from how our kids turn out, apart from whether or not they ever truly embrace God's Word for themselves. And our role is simply to be faithful to our covenant God and to leave the results to Him. It's the same as the Apostle Paul's ministry to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, I planted the word of the gospel among you, Apollos watered the word of the gospel among you, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. Our role is not to create results. Our role is to be faithful in impressing God's word upon the hearts of our children. So what is the goal of parenting for you? What is the goal of parenting for you? Survival, success, happiness. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But as in all of life, as complicated and difficult as it can be, the goal is to love God. The goal is for our parenting to be an expression of our exclusive and wholehearted love to the only God. The goal is for our parenting to flow from our hearts that are full with the truth of God's love and power and wisdom. The goal is to lovingly and constantly impress upon our children's hearts God's truth. Our goal is to be faithful. May the Lord help us do this. May the Lord help us to be faithful in these ways. Let's pray. Our covenant God, we come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the old covenant and established the new by his blood being shed on the cross. What an amazing covenant relationship we have with you, one that can never be broken, a relationship that is all of grace where you have drawn us near through the life, death, and resurrection of your son. Oh God, what an amazing unbreakable relationship we have with you. God, I pray you would overwhelm us with the truth of the good news of Jesus, that it would go deep into our hearts and we would be able to impress upon our children and our neighbors and whomever the joy of knowing you, the joy of knowing the salvation of the Lord. Father, we want to leave a legacy, not merely a legacy of education, not merely a legacy of money and stuff, but God, we want to leave a legacy for our children of knowing who you are, 
knowing the depths of your love, knowing the truth of your word, knowing the power of your gospel. And so, God, I pray that you would give us courage, you would give us wisdom, you would give us conviction. If we need to prioritize this more in our life, draw us to repentance and to begin to establish routines and ways of being able to share your word. God, thank you so much for this high and noble calling of raising children. We pray you would help us to do so faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.